It was morning when the faint outline of the island of Numenor could be seen, beyond the rolling waves and thundering seas. By afternoon, the great city of Romena now was visible in the far distance upon the plains of Erendor, welcoming ships from the east into its wide-spanning shipyards. Come evening, they came into the veil between the two star arms of the island, Hyarostar and Orostar, raising their sails half-mast and lighting the many lanterns hung about their ship. Prepare to lower the anchor! Eldarion moved to raise the sail once more. Countless ships dotted the horizon, some visitors from Middle-earth, other galleys from the western haven of Numenor, Eldolonde, though it was only Eldarion's ship, the great Hirelonde, that bore a letter in which the very fate of their island was hung. At last they docked their ship along the harbor and dismounted along its rope ladder, remarking how well kept the port had been in their absence, and while the shipmen remained in the harbor to tend it still, Eldarion acquired a steed to travel further inland to the capital. Had it not been a horse of westerness, the journey may have taken days or more, but as it was, through rain and thunder the great capital of Armenolos was in his sights by the early morning. The city was grand and wide, and sat upon the rolling hills of Arandur. It was a mighty symbol of what was the greatest kingdom of men in Arda. Even in Aldarion's own lifetime, the city had expanded much, and now sparsely could trees grow, suffocated by stone buildings and pathways of great stature hoisting up high upon a cliff, the king's house, the royal palace. Aldarion went first, through the city, to his home, yet when he came to it he found the doors barred, the house shut and abandoned. While he was dismayed, he asked news of no man, for he would first go to his father. The king's house was a mighty vista, fashioned with the help of hands far greater than men or elves, and its stature was imposing and tall. Tarmenildur was tending to a palace guard when Aldarion entered, and soon after the guard was dismissed. While Aldarion expected a warmer welcome from his own father, Menildur's face was unchanging, looking as if Aldarion was but a guard whose conduct was in question. "'You have been long away,' scolded his father. "'It has been three years now since your promised return.' "'Alas, even I have grown weary of the sea, and my heart yearned for this fair island long. Yet I was detained from returning sooner. There has been much to do.' and all seems to go ill in my absence. I do not doubt it, answered the king, descendant of Elros Tarminiatur. But you may find such as true for your own lands, for Numenor. That I hope to amend, answered Eldarion. But things beyond us, beyond Numenor, are growing restless, growing fearful. Father, I desire greatly to consult with you on my deeds in Eriador, and my thoughts on what we now must do. And you shall do so nodded the king, but there are other matters I judge more urgent. Let a king first rule well his own house, ere he corrects others, it is said, and such is true for all men. So I will now give you counsel, son of Menodur. Half of yourself you have ever neglected and repulsed, half of yourself you have suffocated for things beyond the sundering seas and beyond our fair island. So I tell you, 
part with this reckless ambition, Eldarion. You have a life of your own. Go home, tend well your own house. Eldarion's face suddenly grew stern, and his body grew still. Tell me, then, where is my home? For in Armenelos it seems no longer. Where your wife is, spoke Menildur. You have broken your word to her, whether by necessity or not. She dwells now in Emery, in her own house far from the sea. Had I known where she awaited me, I would have not idled in Armenelos. But at least now I need not ask strangers as to her whereabouts. Aldorion turned to go, but paused. Nay, first I must do diligently what the High King of Linden bade me. He bequeathed to me this to be given to Tarmenaldur. Aldorion retrieved the envelope from his breast pocket and bestowed it to his father, bowing and thereafter leaving the chamber. Despite the coming of night, Aldorion did not idle. Within an hour he had mounted his steed, making his way further inland. Riding hard, he came to Emery at nightfall on the next day, the horse and himself growing increasingly weary. He could see the house, white and lonely, sat upon the hill glowing with the last gleam of sunlight as it set into the west. As he leapt from his horse, he saw Arendis, his wife, clad in white robes, standing upon the steps that went up to the pillars before the door. While at first, from afar, she seemed standing tall and unyielding, as Aldarion grew closer, he could see her face was solemn, and her hair unkempt. "'You come late, my lord,' said his wife, Arendis. "'I had long ceased to expect you. I fear I have prepared no such welcome as I had when you were due.' "'You needn't worry. Mariners are not hard to please.' "'That is well,' she said, and she turned back into the house, leaving him. Then two women came forward, collecting Aldarion's things, and leading his horse away to be fed and well-rested. Aldarion entered the house, which had changed greatly in the years since his eyes had last graced it, and he saw that Erendis had already went away to tend to things in another room, not welcoming her husband further. Nor did Erendis come to the table at his late evening meal, and Aldarion was served by the women in a room apart. But before he had finished, Erendis at latch showed, and said, You must be wary, my lord, after such haste. A guest room has been prepared for you when you seek rest. The women will wait on you, and if you are cold, call for fire. Aldarion made no answer. He went early to the bedchamber, being now indeed weary. He cast himself on the bed, and soon forgot the shadows of Middle-earth and of Numenor, falling fast asleep. But at dawn he rose at once, restless and ill-tempered. He moved quietly to the doors, but as he went out, Erendis came forward. She had not gone to rest that night, and she stood before him on the stairs. You leave more promptly than you came, my lord, she said. I hope you have not found this house of women tiresome already to go before your business is done. Indeed, what business led you home? Will you tell me before you depart? I was told in Armenolos that my wife was here, as was my daughter. Eldarion answered. So I ask you, Erendis, where is my daughter? You had one some years ago, said Erendis. But my daughter is not yet awake. Then let her wake while I fetch my horse. Erendis at first hesitated, standing in place watching Eldarion walk away. But at last she made her mind. When Eldarion rode back upon his steed, his daughter Ankalime stood beside her mother on the stairs, her hair dark and her posture erect and stiff as her mother's. Who are you? Ankalime questioned. And why do you bid me rise so early before even the Kerinki awake from slumber? 
Aldarion, dismounting his horse and coming up the stairs, looked at her keenly, and though his face was unchanging, he smiled within, for there he saw a child of his own, rather than of Erendis, and a worthy heir of the Prince Aldarion. "'You knew me once, Lady Ancalame,' he said. "'But no matter. Today I am but a messenger from Armenelos, to remind you that you are a daughter of the king's heir, and that you shall be his heir in turn, come time.' Now, Ancalame, you will not always dwell here. But go back to bed now, my lady, until the high voices of the Kirinki at last resume. As for me, however, I am in haste to see the king. Farewell, Ancalame. Erendis. He kissed the hand of his daughter and descended the steps, mounting his horse and riding away with a wave of his hand. Erendis alone at a window watched him riding down the hill, and she saw that he rode towards Hyar Storni and not towards Armenelos. She then wept from grief, but more from despair and anger. Erendis had long been rivaled with the sea, yet in which she had felt that in some ways Aldarion still cared for her, still loved her. Yet now, as he rode away in the dawn of morning, she knew now that any love or passion he once held for her was all but gone. As for Aldarion, he rode on to Hyar Storni, and to the house of Halatan, his cousin, for he thought to rest there a while, and take thought before his inevitable return to Armenelos, and after dwelling long in the comforts of his cousin's abode, he at last made his return to the capital. When Aldarion had left the king's house some three days ago, Menildur looked at the letter that his son had given him, wondering, for he saw that it came from King Gilgalad in Linden. It was sealed and bore his device of white stars upon a blue seal. Upon the envelope was written, Given that Mithlond to the hand of the Lord Aldarion, king's heir of Numenor, to be delivered to the High King at Armenelos in person. Menildur removed the seal, revealing a parchment and reading. Arenion Gilgalad, son of Fingon, to Tar Menildur of the line of Irendil. Greeting. The Valar keep you, and may no shadow fall upon the Isle of Kings. Long I have owed you thanks, for you have so many times sent to me your son, Anardil Aldarion, the greatest elf friend that now is among men as I deem. At this time I ask your pardon, if I have detained him over long in my service, for I had great need of the knowledge of men in their tongues which he alone possesses. He has dared many perils to bring me counsel. Of my need he will speak to you, yet he does not guess how great it is, being young and full of hope. Therefore I write this for the eyes of the king of Numenor only. A new shadow arises in the east. It is no tyranny of evil men, as your son believes, but a servant of Morgoth is stirring, and evil things wake again. Each year it gains in strength, for most men are ripe to its purpose. Not far off is the day, I judge, when it will become too great for the Eldar unaided to withstand. Therefore, whenever I behold a tall ship of the kings of men, my heart is eased. And now I make bold to seek your help. If you have any strength of men to spare, lend it to me, I beg. That when assault comes, as it surely will, we should seek to hold the Westlands, where still the Eldar dwell, and men of your race whose hearts are not yet darkened. At the least, we must defend Eriador, about the long rivers west of the mountains that we name Hithaglir, our chief defense. But in that mountain wall, there is a great gap southward in the land of Kalanardon, and by that way inroad from the east the shadow must come. 
Already unrest creeps along the coast towards it. It could be defended and the assault hindered, did we hold some seat of power upon the nearer shore. Of that the Lord Aldarion has seen. At the mouth of Guathlo, he has long labored to establish the haven of Vinyalonde, secure against the sea and land, and his mighty works may prove to have not been in vain, but that would require that he has the strength to protect it. He has knowledge greater than any of the needs of your great ships, thanks in part to Círdan, but he has never had men enough. The king will know his own needs, but if he will listen with favor to Lord Aldarion and support him as he may, then hope will be greater in the world. The memories of the First Age are dim, and all things in Middle-earth grow colder. Let not the ancient friendship of our peoples wane also. Behold, the darkness that is to come is filled with hatred for us, but it hates you no less. The great sea will not be too wide for its wings, if it is suffered to come to full growth. Manwe keep you under the one, and send fair wind to your sails. Menildur let the envelope fall into his lap. Great clouds drifted swiftly from the east, and the cover of darkness came early. Tall candles hung from the ceiling provided a dim light, and shadows danced across the room. May my doom befall me before such times come, cried the king in great despair. When the Valar gave us the land of the gift, they did not too bestow us as the patrons of Middle-earth. We were given the kingdom of Numenor, not the world. Here we were to be pioneers of the days of peace and prosperity, for war was ended, and Morgoth cast from Arda, so I deemed and so I was taught. And if the world truly grows dark again, the servant undoubtedly being lost, Lieutenant of Morgoth Baglia, what now doeth the attain? Alas, I am in too great doubt to rule, to prepare or to let be. To prepare for war, train our guildsmen, craftsmen, and mariners as soldiers, in only the fear of the coming of something that can only be guessed. Conjure warlords and greedy captains, who will love only conquest and count it as glory. And then say to the one, at least your enemies were amongst them. Or to blindly ignore the pleas of elvendom, live in a false safety, a blind peace. And then say to the one, at least I spilled no blood. When either way leads ill, then why choose at all? Let the Valar rule under Eru. Yet alas, the Edain's doom prevents such a plea, at least from my kindred. The king bowed his head in doubt and fear, unsure of what decree he should lay forth. Aldarion came back to the port city Romena four days after Hirilonde had returned to its haven. He was pale and weary, and went at once to his dwelling there, upon which he now intended to stay. By that time, as he found to his dismay, many tongues were already wagging in the city. On the next day he gathered men in Romena, and brought them to Armenelos. There he bade them fell all the trees in the interest of the construction of ships beyond count, for he had now at last chosen where his heart lay. Despite this he spared the white tree which stood in his garden, a wedding gift from the elves of Tolerese. He looked long at it standing amid the desolation, and he saw for the first time that it was in itself beautiful. In its slow elven growth it was but twelve feet high, straight, slender, youthful, now bountifully its white flowers pointed blooming up towards the sky, and it recalled to him his daughter, and he said aloud, I will call you also Ankalime. 
may you and she stand so in long life, unbent by desolation or the will of those around it. The deforestation of Armenolos continued, and lumber in large quantities were carried east to Romena. Yet Aldarion remained there longer, and at long last sought his father. Tarmenaldur was sitting in his chair, waiting, when Aldarion approached. Looking at his son, he was afraid, for Aldarion was pale, cold, and bitter as the sea when the sun is hidden behind a veil of grey clouds. "'What part you played in this, you yourself know,' Aldarion walked slowly towards his father. "'If you choose to shackle me to this island kept from sight of the sea and those who lie beyond it, then you will only further press the isolation of the Edine. And see it as you may, such is not an honourable feat.' I have now neither wife nor love for this land any more. I will depart from this isle where the wise are considered fools and the fools regarded as wise. Another heir you may find more fit for a slave. Of my inheritance I demand only this, the ship here Londe, and as many men as it will hold. I would take my daughter also, were she older. But as she is still young, she will stay in the company of her mother. And unless you do not bear my best interest at heart, continued Aldarion, you will not hinder this, and will not suffer the child to remain in contempt. She is of the line of Elros, Tarminiatur, and no other descendant will you have through your son. And that is all, father. I will now go about a more profitable business. Thus far, Menildur had remained silent, unmoving, but now he sighed. Aldarion, my son, he said softly. The king would say that you have held in contempt those dearest to you. Not vice versa. But your father, who loves and grieves for you, would look past that, now that I know of your purposes. But the fault is not mine, that I did not know them ere now. Had you confided in those close to you, Eldarion, our present may have been different. I have confided, cried Eldarion, his temper rising. To Arendus I spoke of my deeds long, yet to cold ears and an uncomprehending mind. And despite her unwillingness to agree, I loved her. And while I hold that past in my heart, the future of it is dead. She does not love me yet, only that of herself in the constraints of this becursed island, and I myself as a prisoner. But enough of this. Do I have the king's leave to depart? The king, answered Tarmenaldur, has thought long about these matters in the passing days of your leave in Emery. He has read the letter of Gilgalad, which is earnest and grave in tone and by the hiking of the Nolder's wishes. I must say nay. Eldarion shrugged his shoulders, and took a step as if to go, but Menaldur held up his hand, commanding attention, and continued. Nevertheless, the king, though he has now ruled the land of Numenor for one hundred and forty-two years, has certainty that his wisdom of the matters in which the letter is concerned is in no way apt to make a just decision. He paused, and taking up a parchment, and read from it in a clear voice. Therefore, first for the honor of his well-beloved son, and second for the better direction of the realm in courses which his son more clearly understands the king has resolved, that he will forthwith resign the scepter to his son, who shall now become Tar Aldario, the king.
Tareldarion looked upon the light of Valinor as it was in the time of the two trees, with slight shifts he could see the reflection of Lorelin and Telperion reach out to him through deep time, swaying as gently as the winds of Manwë during the long peace. Why did you deny Feanor? His question matched the innocence of elves who first awoke at Quivienen. Its purpose was to imbue power from that which was meant to be prosperous without control. The disciple of Melian offered him a drink as fresh as the first fruits of Yavanna. In my hair that light resided free from the wishful desires of my kin. I would rather see it dim than kindle a passion that burns the gifts of the Valar bestowed upon our people. The companion of the High King of Numenor, Elrond Paradel, admired the wisdom of the famed commander, seeking the lessons she had learned from her legacy tied to the great houses of the Vanyar, Noldor, and Teleri. And why did you refuse the pardon? When I leisured in Amman, I had visions of my dominion casting its light over the vastness of Middle-earth, and their allure was as strong-armed as the rampage of Feanor against the ramparts of the Balrogs. The elven maid stood as stone, speaking as soft as the whispers that opened the passage to Gondolin. I was not kind to my kin once these dreams turned into destiny. Even if I spoke against the slaying of my mother's siblings, after Alqualande, I no longer deserved to be Nirwen. For though I was a man-maiden tall and strong, the prowess and the power were not enough to stay the hand of the one who had learned the jewel craft of Aule alongside my own. Even though I could capture glimpses of what he thought, the weapons he wrought were now stained with the blood of my kin. And as Arantis, I no longer wished to know myself, for its very mention swelled the shame I felt being named amongst those who had raised the swords. Anadil, I no longer am. But it was not a choice that came from me, Tareldarion added to her elegy of who she used to be. I wish you never had to leave Valinor for Middle-earth, just as I sail around it but never lay foundations upon its shores to settle by force. I cannot know the burden of banishment that still looms over your shoulders. When I turned away from the tempest that ravaged the Teleri, the anger of the Valar was as visible as your horror is to me. She presented a seedling in soil, comforted by a glimmering goblet of Mithril, as a gift for Numenor. I could not make a place amongst those who would no longer look upon me with pride. Homeless I chose to unhouse my seat in search of a name. Amongst the Sindar I found a way to bring the majesty of Valinor before the wrath of Morgoth to those who even in the height of its glory had refused the call to partake in it. It was only right for the very words that spell Galadriel are a fruit of the Teleren, the Ildaren, and the Quendian days, long before they were as pronounced as attentions between the elves of Beleriand and my kin. Clad in a chemise of gold and silver, she maintained her posture as upright as the Malorn and Andustar, continuing to speak with ease of events that would turn the wise weary. When in Doriath the Valar bestowed their boon upon the very corn that grew Lambas, I felt encouraged to flower the fields far away with the vim of Valinor. Through Melian, much I learned that the Mayar only keep to themselves, yet even then I could not surrender the shame that had become close-bosomed with my pride. When the Quenyan ban of Thingol was pronounced, my divorce from the lands I was once doomed never to return to became too profound to mend. In Middle-earth my sorrows are less severe, 
and in Eregion, my kin offer me a chance to bring the light of the two trees as it reflects against the minds of Mithril, bringing together the musings of Yavanna and Aule to form a melody that heals my Roa with happiness. I am grateful, as are those in the West, for the glee you have brought across the Sundering Seas, in a time when Gorthau has returned, Sauron as Sauron should be. Toreldorion unfurled a scroll with a signed statement from a scout of Vinyalunde. He is closer to you now than you were to Finrod Felagund when his werewolves fell upon him, with their feigned ferocity. Even his victory could not defeat the evil that once more lurks just beyond the Missy Mountains, burying its roots in Rune, Kand, and Harad when they too are meant to be free from tyranny. Their threats have tempered with our tunes from across the great forests. Still we are not yet an unwilling audience to the Theatre of Tyrants, Lord Kelleborn of the Woodland Realms relayed a report to the King of Numenor. And I will continue to watch over sight and sound, to ensure we are not subjected to their schemes. The truth remains, we are the subject of their schemes. Elrond Paradel spoke ever politely, retaining a mastery over speech that remained unparalleled amongst his peers in Mithlond. And we must perhaps now bolster our thoughts from breach, for who knows what Morgothian device is now in possession of the deceiver. As fierce as Finway, as fallible as Feanor, as fearless as Finarfin, as fearful as Fingon, he is no stranger to the rest of my kin, who sat under the tree to be taught by the same master as he. Galadriel parted with a hint of worry that shrouded her sheen as slightly as passing shadow. He seeks my thoughts in the absence of my guard. However that may be, he knows I cannot concede, as long as I remain in Eriador. For the sake of Calabrian and Celeborn, and all those who have chosen to craft a respite for these realms. Each day, carriages full of caskets chart safe courses towards Forwardwaith and Farharad. Celeborn signaled the emissaries to bring forth baskets beaming with the jewels of Eregion. And each year... Dressed in designs of Doriath, he continued, Allies in the east and west celebrate the wealth and wisdom we deliver upon their doors, and we are ever grateful for the words they bring that firmly remain as riddles woven with black speech. We are of like mind beyond just our fondness of the Malorn. You are ever welcome to the harbours of Numenor if you wish to depart from these dells of death and decay, Tarel Dorion blinked in kind. We value the sacrifices of every elf who forsakes the hurrah in favor of those who are not as fortunate to taste the fruits of Tyrion. To fade upon the bridges of Tharbad is a fairer fate than to burn in the boats of Alquilonde. Celeborn looked unto Galadriel and returned his gaze to the waters of Guathlil, and they gushed from the confluence of Horwell and Glanduin. Ships from Mithlond, Numenor, and Umbar rocked softly at the port as the rain poured portentously. Long before we were wed, we had already experienced the severity of ties severed by kin. In Doriath and Nogothron, we were witness to the war that rallied up our walls and furrowed beneath our feet, and we are certain that if we rest upon our laurels, there will be no respite from the relentless fires of our enemies reignited. I assure you this, High King of the Edain, that our countries will remember the bonds that are forged between us, and all the times yet to manifest. As the carers of trees commit their long lives to all things that grow, so shall our people, Tar Eldarion affirmed. 
No flame of Westerness or Middle-earth shall cause darkness to cover these lands. Barren or green, Elrond was certain, yet quivering. In the cover of the night, or in the starkness of day, we must prevent this rot that rends our roots from within. I recall both with fondness and sadness an evening in Andunye, when Elros and I pondered about the times that I now live, and foolishly we had hoped that evil would not return, but even then we were not certain, and we can only continue to be more cautious than we have ever been. Failing this, we are doomed to be dismayed. Your counsel is a song delivered by the swans to soothe the fractures between elves and men, dear Peredel. Galadriel of the Golden Glades gathered his grief in her girdle. My faith in you is fortified, even if the clouds have garbed the fair skies grey. Turning to Tar Eldarion, the Lady of the Golden House cast a smile that the king would take with him in memory to the guilds of Numenor, who had captured the likeness of the Silmaril in stone. You now bear the wisdom that Gil-galad had wished for you to possess when you were still only Anardil, for now you are both, as I am Galadriel, Nerwen, and Arantis still. May the winds of Ilmarin be kind upon your return to a direction, long unsailed by me. And through that kindness, may the goodness of Varda inspire your people to bring about the deliverance that Middle-earth needs in its time of desperation. Namarieh.